everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. How do you measure success in your business? Our guest this week, Jeff Gotthelf, has a simple test to determine effectiveness. Did you change the behavior of your intended audience? Transitioning from the tech world to educating, authoring, and coaching was the beginning of Jeff's unique story, and he believes that telling your story is one of the ways that distinguishes you from your competitors. Being confident in your authenticity is a huge aspect of the equation, but you've also got to learn how to test your products and your concepts in the most efficient way possible. That means minimal work and risk to determine what is going to affect your consumer. Lean, not lazy. This is the mindset of a forward-thinking entrepreneur like Jeff. Here it is, episode 404. Hey, wake up. You guys, wake up. It's Luke. We're here to give you another episode of the Premier Podcast. Strength and conditioning. Bing. I-N-G. Mm. He did it. So how are you doing today, John? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me on another episode of the Premier Podcast and Strength Condition. That's right. That That's Ing. Uh, Ing. That's the bellowing voice of friend of the podcast, yeah. John Wellborn, founder, CEO, Power Also Athlete. for the Barry White Hour. Yeah, and and the vo- the deep voice. It's yeah. as deep as I can go. And then Tex, how are you today? Incredible. Do we have any new shtick for the show? <laughs> I feel... I mean, I'm inspired by Jeff, our guest today, and his circus adventures. Uh huh. That we should play a little. You seem kind of giddy. You got a carny like game, a, like a young schoolgirl that just got done skipping into work. You seem giddy. Well, I learned mm-hmm. a lot today, John. Did you? Mm-hmm. I did. This is certainly out of my wheelhouse, but yeah. enjoyed the experience. Nice. Yeah, so we, we do have a guest on that was a former, you can't say Carney, John, but if one were to describe him as a Carney, it'd be accurate. It'd be Carnival Folk. He's former Carnival Folk, which my contention is once Carnival Folk, always Carnival Folk. You think they get like a decoder ring or something special, like a tattoo or a brand? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think. Should we have asked him? <laughs> we'll ask him next time. Okay. Oh, well, like the Olympics? You got to get the Olympic rings tattoo? Mm-hmm. But if you're in a Carnival... So on the show today, before we get to it, we're talking to uh, Jeff Gotthelf, who's a speaker, author, uh, focuses on leadership dynamic, changing the perspective of how you're developing your services or products, remaining agile, kind of not really in the fitness space, more in the tech space, but I think an industry that has a number of well-studied and documented principles that fitness folk or fitness, do fitness people have carny names? A name like carnies? Where fitness folk um, can maybe draw some inspiration on how to run their business or well, or I, scale up. I, like, I always appreciate pulling outside of like yeah. the standard paradigm. Like, hey, like, I think sometimes in the fitness space, you're kind of surrounded by these influencers or people that are, you know, here. And it really just is intelligent to reach out and figure out what other people are doing, especially in an ever-changing market. Like, we're talking yeah. about with, like, developing a kind of a... Um, almost like a SaaS model in terms of how do we service our clients better. And I think what we found is it doesn't necessarily have to be the same industry, that the levels of service and how you approach it are universal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Before we get into our talk with Jeff, Tex, what's this game called? Guess the podcast. Okay, so you're going to give us one review, and we got to guess whether it's Pow Athlete Radio's review or another podcast? Yes. Okay. And you don't have to name that podcast. You just... You, other. You're, other. Call, you're we'll playing call the game. Other. We'll All right. So other. 
John and I are guessing whether or not this is a Power Athlete Radio review. Yeah. Okay, go. All right. Let me see. All right. Are you ready? We are. This is two stars. Mm. This this particular review. Mm. Good info from guests. Host, though, routinely oversells all products. Power Athlete Radio. And helps... <laughs> And health concepts he mentions. He steals a lot of this from catchphrases from a Mr. Tim Ferriss. Hmm. John's a big Tim Ferriss guy. <laughs> that, is, that is not true. But even though John's a big Tim Ferriss guy, he's not the host of Power of the Radio. He's just friend. And he also, he's got his own catchphrases. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just believe me, I don't have to steal any catchphrases. <laughs> I'm going to say this is not Power Athlete Radio. You are correct. John, what's your... Wait, John, what do you think? Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry. This game is rigged. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you already ruined it. Game. You know, you're like telling people the endings. Uh, that's right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> like, like a movie review from John Wellborn. Uh, yeah, well, here's the thing. I don't care if somebody ruins the ending or tells me the plot. I'm still going to go watch it. You guys know they're like, oh, don't tell All me. Right. I don't okay, know. round two. <laughs> Luke wins round one. Round yeah. two. All right, John, you're up. Very bad source of information. Whoa, whoa. How many stars? One star. Reviewer name? Uh, the Nino. And I'm not making that up. <laughs> the Nino? Yeah. Okay. That's... Uh, Spanish. That's, not El Nino? That's English for El Nino. <laughs> okay. One star. Very bad source of information. I would highly rec- recommend looking elsewhere for any health advice. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm probably going to go with... Not Power Athlete Radio. That's right. Or is it right? No, it, you are both correct. Oh. Well. Don't worry about who it is. <laughs> well. Just avoid him, according to that guy. The Nino. Man, you know what doesn't happen on Power Athlete Radio's review page? Reviews like that. Want to know why? Because we keep it real, John. Well, the other thing, I mean, we did get some lower reviews, but those were like in our first episodes when the mic and the the whole like doesn't experience count. wasn't good. It doesn't I mean, count. trash trucks coming in. It just yeah. But like, I think after you you know you grow up and you become a little more professional, you know what you do? You become a top ten fitness podcast. And to be honest, at All that right. time we didn't even know we had a podcast. <laughs> Can we have round? I didn't. Are we ready for round three? Yeah. All right, third and final round. The name of this person, Missouri made Texas pay, paid. I don't get it. Okay. Whatever. Anyway, it's five stars. Huh. Go on. The title, Eat the Hammer. <laughs> the review, without a doubt, this is the best podcast when you want to listen to sick bants Reliving the glory days with tribal's, tribal bro, uh-huh. robot co-host, and talkative recurring French guests. If you need action movie reviews, this is a three-hour podcast for you. Hmm. If you need actual advice about health and fitness, there isn't a podcast out there with a collection of as knowledgeable of guests. Get it. That sounds like Ben Greenfield. Luke? No, I'm going to go with Power Athlete Radio. John is the winner. What? Oh, my gosh. 
Ladies well, and gentlemen, well, and, I wish and, I could say I'm and surprised. The only reason is Ben Greenfield has a tramp stamp, uh, like a low back tattoo of a butterfly, uh-huh. not a tribal armband. Oh. So that was the dead giveaway. Now, if they had dead been like uh, with a host with a uh, <laughs> tribal butterfly, well, with a butterfly on the small tribal? of your back, tribal, tribal butterfly, butterfly might small. as well be a bullseye. <laughs> so we know that, you know, there's a tribal bro here. So he gets 17 every time I give a double overhead bicep pose. I'm cramping. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's right. You get a little bit of taste of what Power Athlete Radio is all about. So if you're a new listener, you know what we're not, which is a hack, one star type of podcast. We are a five star experience. Do you concur? Not only do I concur, the fitness podcast community does as well. That's right, because we are climbing the charts and coming for number one. Now, notice we don't really bash Mind Pump Radio. We kind of like those guys. Yeah. We're coming after you still. Friendly, It's friendly fire, pal, but we're coming after the mind pump, folks. We got to get out there and jump on their podcast. Show them how it's done. One day. One day. Which one? Mind Pump Radio. I know, but they do like five a week. Yeah, we'll do all of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's go out there. They're like, I think they're up to 12 podcasts a week. Yeah, we'll stay. We'll just stay for the well, week yeah, and do the, them all. Those Power Athlete guys came for one show, <laughs> and they never left. <laughs> <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you for helping make our ascent on this chart of fitness podcasts possible. And as a token of appreciation, we're going to present you with the gift of opportunity to be heard. Go to podcast or iTunes. Does Spotify have reviews yet? I'm sure. I'm I mean, sure. Uh, They've got to with Joe Rogan, Rogan going uh, yeah, on there. Uh, September 1, he yeah. launched. So back in September 1, John. Yeah. Wink, wink. Because yeah. it's definitely October 16th. The <laughs> uh, So leave us a review. Let's find out. If you are listening on Spotify, leave us a review on Spotify. If you're listening on iTunes, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us whatever amount of stars equals five and give us a little, uh, a little, love. A little quip, a little love that we can read on the Spread podcast. Spread it around. To play, guess that podcast review. <sighs> Enough about us, enough about Power Athlete Radio, because obviously you're listening to it, you're invested. Um, let's get on with the show. Strap yourself in, dialing in, or calling in, I guess, from Barcelona. 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 <laughs> I was waiting for you to Barcelona. do that. I was waiting for Barcelona. Like, in Barcelona. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah, that's in... Um, internship. Internship, <laughs> that's right. God, Vince Vaughn, what a great movie Those, that, that is. That duo, that duo is great. Yeah, you, you can't go wrong. Just a couple young go-hards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, enough about us. Let's get talking to Jeff Got Health. Ready? Ready. Go. Initially, touch base, Jeff. A lot of our followers are small business owners, but in the respect to the, the fitness industry. And they mm-hmm. get into this because they are very passionate about people, fitness. And now we're realizing through times are a-changing, the reasons they get into this are getting taken away from them outside their control. So they're really forced to change their mindset and their thinking and business practices. And that's what you do. You educate, you empower, especially the small business owner. And and we feel you're a perfect guest to help enlighten and empower a lot of our small gym business viewers out there. And and another thing that I see happen far too often in this cohort of business owners is there's a period where they start to project their values and passion on their clientele who may not share the same desires that originally encouraged, let's say, text to open a gym. And it becomes frustrating because there's like a misalignment of expectations and they're doing everything they think that they should be doing to service their customer, but their customer isn't responding. And it builds this yeah. interesting resentment because you're in the trenches leading these classes 
wanting it more than these people. And you're like, just want to shake them like uh, uh, Billy Madison. Like, you, yeah. you little. Stay here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm also curious to, to navigate into that space because if, if you could avoid, if you could mi- like mitigate that milestone in running a gym, a micro gym, I think that there's a much higher level of opportunity for you to, to really be satisfied and successful in, in that domain. Luke, I feel like you're giving our exact experience no. owning because uh, we uh, when I first met Luke, we owned a micro gym uh, in Newport Beach and had a bigger uh, you know business on the but just kind of did this on the side and was really into kind of training people and this kind of benevolent idea of fitness and helping people become healthy and strong. And then you get to the point when you realize that not everybody has that same outcome out of this thing and the kind of this interesting misalignment of expectations. And I always go back to like, you know, like, what does the customer want? Give the customer what they want. And then you realize yeah. that if I did that, they I, wouldn't be showing up. Like, they wouldn't be showing up. You don't have to show up today. <laughs> right. Here's, Sweet. Here's, here's more pe- money. Here's pizza and beer. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And uh, so it, and then it, at some point you realize, like, I'm either going to blow this place up or I need to leave and find something new to do. Because, uh, like, I remember I had a client that came in. We did a ton of training, got him in shape, did all these things. And then they're like, oh, I'm quitting. I was like, but we had such an amazing journey. We have so far to go. No, I'm good. This is all I wanted. And you're like, you just invested every day for the last, like, six months. Like, and now you just leave. Yeah, it's not important to me. At that point, I was uh, like, it's time for me to go. On that note, why don't we just do pass it? the baton to you, Jeff, and for our listeners that maybe don't know who you are or aren't familiar with your body of work, why don't you go ahead and give them a little bit of intro? Sure. Uh, so my name is Jeff Gotthelf, and uh, I, these days I work as a as a uh, coach and a consultant, an author and a speaker with a, a background in technology. So I spent uh, 20 years working with product teams, digital product teams, helping build software over the years, over the evolution of the web primarily. And uh, I started off as a designer. I ended up doing some product management. And then in the last decade or so, I've taken the expertise that I built up in the first 10 or 15 years of my career and I've turned it into content and I've used that content to help build a uh, a thought leadership platform for myself that helps drive the coaching and the consulting and the speaking business uh, that I've created on top of it. And so um, over the course of the last uh, few years, I've written four books and each one starts off, uh, it starts off really niche and really kind of expands further and further out. So the first book was a design book, um, digital design book called Lean UX. I wrote a very small, and then I wrote a business book called Sense and Respond, which was a a really interesting um, experiment in seeing whether or not uh, two designers who really didn't have any credibility writing a business book could uh, successfully write, publish, and succeed with a business book. And then most recently, uh, I've taken the same sort of concepts and I've applied them to a new idea called Forever Employable, which is the name of my new book. And the idea behind Forever Employable is that we live in a world of continuous change, uh, especially these days. Um, how do we create the kind of platform around ourselves, or even around our businesses, which I see a lot of companies, especially smaller companies doing, that changes the dynamic about opportunities. So normally we have to go into the market to push ourselves into the market to go find those opportunities to push ourselves into those new opportunities, whether they be jobs or clients or customers or, or gigs or whatever it is. And then how do you how do you create a situation where that dynamic is shifted 180 degrees 
and you're actually attracting opportunities towards you. You're pulling those opportunities towards you based on a platform of, again, content, thought leadership, and expertise. And so that's what I'm doing today. And, and the stories in Forever Employable are my stories, along with others, of course, but about how I built my business to where it is today. And I think that's, that's a great... It's a great platform for this discussion, too. And at what we have learned from what we were talking earlier, from running a gym, and then really was like a side hustle for a traveling seminar business and spinning up content and the importance of that content and how it allowed that seminar business to thrive and then pivoting into what we're doing now at Power Athlete, which is kind of like a full-service coach's education and mentorship program paired with an at-home training experience so this online remote coaching which i think is really uh, is going to be absolutely paramount for for gym owners and fitness professionals to to understand and grasp like what i've come to learn jeff is we're modeling a lot off of SaaS software as a service and we're yeah. just we're we're reducing the act of coaching which is an art and there's a lot of nuance and it's a very human experience but if you can reduce that to a service and start to build out some of the like the user journey in your gym and understand the process. And it's something that you can then replicate and hand off to assistant coaches to help build an experience in your gym that keeps people coming back. And I like, I can't help but make those connections in my research as, as we're framing up what we're doing here at power athlete uh, and thinking, man, if, if we were back in the brick and mortar space, how we like how differently I would do things, you know, and it'd be mostly pegged off of this SaaS model. It sounds honestly, it sounds to me like what you're doing is identical to what I've done as well. It's, the subject matter is different, right? So the the, the the expertise, the content is different, but you you you've done it. Sounds like the same exact thing that I've done. You've taken the experience that you had doing the work. And you've translated that into a variety of different ways where you can deliver that experience. Now, the benefits of that experience to, to folks. And the nice thing about um, technology, especially now in, in COVID times, is that it is scalable well beyond what a geographic footprint may have limited you to in the past, right? So really, like you said, thinking about your, your product, uh, your expertise as a service and really drawing inspiration from that model, all of a sudden you can you can scale that. So whereas if you had a brick and mortar micro gym, for example, right, you were limited to the to the physical and geographic constraints of the location of that, and really scaling meant franchising or growing the space or whatever, right? Um, but today the core the core value that you deliver can be delivered in other ways, mm -hmm. and I think that that's super inspirational. And if, if more small business owners took that to heart, I feel like we'd see a lot more success stories coming out of the pandemic and a lot more reinventions coming out of it because there are folks who are doing it. It's possible. It takes trial and error, but, but you can survive this. So yeah, can you maybe dig into whether it's clients you've worked with or other case studies you're aware of, how, how, some, how a small business may have transcended its, its brick and mortar? Uh, and, and what like what are the what does that process look like? What do you need to learn about yourself? And um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so there's a couple of examples. So I'll talk about uh, examples that I've, I've seen out in the wild. I can talk about my own business as well. Um, the most obviously the one of the, mo the hardest hit industries right now is travel and tourism. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of um, 
folks who support the travel and tourism industry, not, not, even, not even the logistics of getting people there or getting people housed or even getting people fed, but it's more about the experiences that you have once you're in these particular cities, right? We had a, we had a tour planned in Rome. We had a, uh, a pasta making class while we were in, in, in Venice or whatever it is, right? That type of thing. Um, and what you're seeing is you're seeing these tour operators say, okay, great. Now I can't get people here. Um, and uh, and so, so giving them that, that full sensory experience isn't going to happen. But it doesn't mean I can't teach them how to make pasta, right? Let's get them on a Zoom call. Let's, let's give them that same experience of interacting with a local, of having that conversation, of trying stuff out together, and in and, and, and creating that kind of uh, as close to the real thing as you can, right? So the, the core, the, the, the thing you're looking for is what's the core value that you deliver. And I think it takes a little bit of self-exploration to get there, right? Because ultimately it's like, well, what is the thing that I'm really giving to people, right? Am I giving them, uh, you know, am I teaching them how to make pasta? Yeah, technically I'm doing that. But more importantly, I'm exposing them to another culture. I'm giving them an experience that they wouldn't have otherwise had, okay? So great, now, so now I can't bring them here to have that. So what's a different way that I can do that? Right, and, and look, perhaps Zoom calls are the obvious immediate answer. And there's lots of other answers and the technology will evolve and there'll be better ways to do this as well. Um, it's really fascinating for my business. Um, so my business, again, is consulting, coaching, speaking, writing, that type of thing. My business, generally speaking, up until very recently, like the last year and a half or so, was very much geographically based. I, I, it doesn't matter where I was living, people would call up and say, hey, can you come teach a class in London? Can you come teach a class in Austin? Can, and, and then I would fly to Austin. And the only, really, the, the only real competition I had from my, this, this makes the dynamics really interesting now. The only real competition I had for my, for, for, for my business was the, the local competition wherever I was. If there's somebody else teaching a similar subject or somebody else that I, I knew lived in that town, they might also be offering up a similar service while I was there. What's fascinating about this new world, and I think, I think it, it's, it's hugely empowering and also there's a bit more competition out there, is that the fact that we are treating a lot of our businesses as a service and we're delivering a lot of our value these days online, all of a sudden we've erased the borders, mm -hmm. right? We've erased the geographical constraints. So for example, I, I, I'm teaching a class online starting in two weeks. Normally I would have picked a city and a couple of dates and I would say, look, I'm gonna be in, in Boston, right? September 16th and 17th, I'm teaching a two day workshop. You gotta fly to Boston, you gotta get a hotel, you gotta be from Boston, whatever it is, you gotta buy tickets. Today, I'm teaching that class online, right? Which means I can get people from Boston, from Austin, from London, from Mumbai, from Singapore, from Sao Paulo. It, it, and so all of a sudden, I've got a massive new market for everything, so which, is the, which is the upside here. The downside is that everybody else has that same market as right. well. And so there was, there, was, there was that bit of geographic, um, you know, sort of defense that you could have, like, hey, I'm the guy in Austin, right? Or I'm the guy in Barcelona that teaches this, right? And now anybody could be that person who teaches in those cities as well. But there's tremendous opportunity here. So then with the new opportunity and the new struggle, what, what else has to come out of that self-exploration to be able to differentiate yourself or to be able to be an appealing service or product to the, this whole new market? 
Yeah, so, so it's interesting, right? So, so you can't be, maybe there was a point in time where you were the only person in a location that offered a particular service. Um, that's gone, right? So that competitive advantage is gone. So you've got to really dig deep and really understand sort of what are the competitive advantages that you offer. I was talking to um, a company that does training um, recently and they're based out of Athens, Greece. And I said, look, I said, what is the, what is the competitive advantage that you have? I said, because you could launch a training in Athens Right? But I could take it from California. Like it, it does, as long as I'm willing to stay up or get up early to do it, it's, it's not a big deal. And so you've really got to think about like what differentiates it. So for example, they could teach it in Greek, right? So if, if you've got a, a language that you can teach it in and that's, so all of a sudden you, you've reduced your target audience, but you're customizing it to a very specific slice of that audience who may prefer to do uh, the, the transaction with you, to take the course, to train with you in a specific language, right? Or you may say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to focus specifically on a subset of the target audience that I can really speak to uh, most effectively based on experience that I've, that, that I've had in the past, right? So um, uh, I'm trying to think of something creative and fun about this. I used to be a touring musician years and years ago, right? Like you could, you could open up, uh, uh, you know, if, if, uh, health and fitness tips for, for, you know, touring musicians or something, right. something along those lines. Right. But, but the idea is to really think through sort of what are the, the unique aspects of your story. And, and the interesting thing is a lot of folks will say, well, ah, my story's not unique. It's not special. I'm just kind of just like everybody else. I just happened to do it uh, here in this particular place, but everybody's got a unique story. Everybody's got a unique, unique experience. No one took the exact same steps to get to where they are in their business today as the, as the person who's, who they're competing against. I think that that's what you've got to lean into and find those things that, that, make, uh, that make you stand out in there. And, and like, again, and it could be your experience, it could be your tone of voice, it could be your target audience. Um, I don't know, you gotta experiment, figure it out. Mm-hmm. Nice. I guess going back a little bit in your story here, Jeff, like what prompted you to st- grow out of being an engineer or, you know, working in that, that product space and getting into like this more thought leadership and, and what you're doing today? Uh, I was terrified. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, um, I was terrified when I turned 35. Um, terrified that five years from then, I would be 40. I would be old. I would be, uh, too expensive and unemployable. And, and that really, really scared me. Um, I was already made, I, I had a job in New York City. I was a, you know, a middle manager in tech, uh, made a decent salary. You know, I was already married. I already had my two kids. I had a house, I had a couple cars, I had the American dream, uh, the, whole, the whole thing. And what I'm seeing in my position, first of all, I'm hiring people onto my team. And so I know what I'm paying folks, right? Um, I know that the folks that I'm hiring are smart, talented, frankly, they're better than me and uh, faster than me. And they're, and they're at this point, they're a little bit hungrier than me as well. And the other thing I noticed is that as, as I kind of went up the corporate ladder, the number of opportunities available to me were dropping, right? So there, there's just aren't that many executive jobs. There shouldn't be as many executive jobs as there are individual contributor jobs. And, uh, and, and my salary requirements were going up and it felt unsustainable to me. It felt like as I, if I was going to continue to compete for these positions that paid more and of which there were fewer and fewer uh, 
positions to go to go around anyway, I was going to start losing a lot more frequently than I was already losing. And I was terrified about not being able to feed my family, frankly. Um, that, was, that was really what it came down to. And so I actually made a very conscious decision to change that dynamic. Um, so I, I mentioned it a bit earlier in the show, but I, was, I decided on the morning of my 35th birthday that I was no longer going to push myself out into the, mar- into, into the market, into these opportunities, so apply for jobs, post my resume, um, go to interviews that like, you know, to just kind of keep chasing these things. But instead, I was completely going to change the dynamic and create a situation where people were coming to me because they knew who I was, they knew what I was good at, what I could help them with, and they were going to bring me opportunities that I actually wanted to do. That was, that was the plan that I set out to, to, to execute on and to create. Uh, and to be clear, uh, I've, knock on wood, I've succeeded in doing that. And, I, and I've maintained that now for 10 years. But it took a long time to get there. It took a tremendous amount of, of persistence, perseverance, and hard work to get there because like we were just talking about, you've got to continuously experiment to determine how to best present yourself out in the marketplace. You've got to determine kind of what your unique selling proposition is, what, you, what your differentiation is, and then how to best engage with your target audience, right? So we've got, let's say infinite, it feels like an infinite way, number of channels that we could use to communicate with people who we might want to sell services to. Which one is the most effective? What's the best format once you're on there? Should I make YouTube videos, right? Should I tweet? Should I go on Facebook? Should I be an influencer on Instagram? Should I make podcasts? There's all kinds of things that you can do, and you've got to keep experimenting with those things to find the thing that resonates most with the people that you're targeting. So that was the decision, and then that was sort of the next step that happened after that. So you're talking about really a uh, like reinventing yourself into what you thought the market wanted or more importantly what you thought could be sustainable it's interesting what i was doing was i was and, and this is the thing that i that i think that puts people off is because it feels like a reinvention right it feels like well i'm i'm, re, I'm recreating myself but what i'm actually doing is i'm taking my experience and my skill set and i'm just delivering delivering it a different way so if anything i'm reinventing the delivery method and the, and the delivery channels but what I'm doing is, is the same thing, right? It's the, when I was designing software products, right? I was helping customers solve a problem through design. When I was a product manager, I was helping customers and businesses solve a problem by deciding how to build a, a digital product or service. Today, I help my clients solve problems like, you know, culture problems, organizational design problems, um, those types of things by uh, by understanding their needs, by experimenting with solutions and, and looking for changes in behavior as measures of success, which is literally the same thing I've been doing for 20 years. It's just delivered a different way. Mm-hmm. So there is reinvention in there, but it's just in, in how you position and, and offer your services. The, the core skills are the same. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's that's part of the discovery process is being able to zoom out and almost... Uh, distill what you're doing, like get out of get out of the technical components of the expertise you have. Let's say maybe you're coaching or an Olympic weightlifting coach. Like zoom out, and what you're doing is you're 
you're taking an individual along a, a path and a journey by doing exactly what you're talking about, Jeff, which is like monitoring, feedback, experimentation, you know, and if you look at it in the paradigm of writing a program, you, you never write the perfect program. You know, you never write the perfect sets, reps, movement selection, movement sequencing for 365 days. You apply it, you monitor it, you adjust it, and you adapt based off your experience. So if you could build those principles and those become the pillars of your identity, then you see where else you can do that. It doesn't have to be in the gym. Yeah. It's true. I mean, look, it's, 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 and it's exactly what you just said is exactly right. It's, it's about experimentation and learning. And, and there's a core component there that comes with that. And that component is humility. And I, I, I love this word because it's extremely powerful in changing mindsets. But I don't think people really understand humility. I think, I think a lot of folks assume, especially anybody who's kind of in any kind of a, a leadership position, even if you're a small business owner, right? That's still a leadership position. You're running a business. Maybe you've got a couple of employees and, and right, clients. Um, humility, people think that it's, it's kind of the, the abdication of leadership or the abdication of vision. Like, I know exactly what's right for you, right? And here's that 365-day plan, right? Um, and I have to give, like, if I'm going to, if, if I'm going to accept being humble, I have to, I have to give that up. And I disagree. I think humility is having strong opinions based on your experience and your expertise, but in the face of evidence, feedback, right? Critique, whatever it is, you're willing to change course. That's it. It's the willingness to change course that allows us to grow our businesses. It allows us to reinvent our delivery channels, how we deliver value to our customers, right? So let's say, let's say um, you know, the pandemic has shut down your microchip, right? You can't train in person, right? So you, you decide, well, I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna deliver my training via, via Zoom calls or whatever it is. And you try it one way. Um, it's not gonna be great the first time out of the gate, right? It's gonna kind of suck, right? But, you'll, but, but then, the, the most humble thing you can do is talk to your client and say, listen, um, I know parts of that weren't awesome. Tell me about that. Like, what, what, what didn't work for you? What worked for you? Okay, next time we're going to try something a little bit different, right? And it's that humility, that willingness to adjust that allows your business to thrive. As soon as we let that go, like we think we're 100% right, we're always going to get it right, forget about it. You're done. There's, there's, just, there's just too much uncertainty to deal with. It may, could you dig into a little more about like this concept of experimentation? So what could he, what does a business owner or a leader in a, you know, an established business, like, what does that process look like? Maybe that's a stupid question, but you know, is it hypothesis? Is it the scientific method that we learned in, you know, sixth grade science hypothesis yes. procedure? What was it? Hippo? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, hypothesis, investigation. Process? No. God, oh, I need to go back to fourth Google. grade. <laughs> I need to go back to fourth grade. <laughs> well, um, you get where I'm going here, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, yes, the short answer to your question is this is scientific method, right? But it's, it's it, we're, we're inspired by it, right? Scientific method looks for clear, you know, sort of binary answers. Yes, it's this way. No, it's not this way. We are inspired by scientific method. Look, if you buy into this whole humility concept, then, then you'll follow me a bit further down this rabbit hole. And I will tell you that all of your ideas about your business 
are assumptions. They are your best guess about how to build a successful business, regardless of what kind of business it is, right? Those are, those are assumptions, like, because you can't predict the future, right? Based on your experience and your expertise, you're saying, look, this is how I'm moving forward with the, with the business. Great, terrific. You can then string those assumptions into hypothesis statements. Hypothesis statements basically are just testable statements that say, like, we believe that if we do this, then this will happen, and we'll know we're right when we see these changes in the world actually take place, right? And, uh, and then the idea is to go and run experiments to test those hypotheses. Now look, experimenting with your business is risky and it could potentially be expensive or at the very least costly to your business. And so what we try to do is we try to, to do the least amount of work possible, the smallest possible experiment to learn the most important thing that we can because the, the less you invest in an experiment, the easier it is to be wrong. Because if you, if, if you spent, let's, let's say, and I'll give you examples here in just a second, right? But let's say you spent uh, a day putting an experiment together, you ran it for a day and it failed miserably, you lost two days, right? But if you completely revamp your business and deliver it in a whole new and different way and you spend six months doing that, you, you know, you kit out your garage and make a YouTube studio in there and you're going to make these killer fitness videos with all these like $10,000 worth of cameras and that type of thing. And then no one watches your videos. That's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. So what you're talking about is like proof of concept, like uh, exactly. small little bets, proof of concept. And then all of a sudden, hey, if this is going in the right direction, then maybe you pour gas on it. But it's exactly. It feels so, like, so for example, you know, right. Let, let's say you say, look, I'm going to transform my business from in person to three minute you know, before your morning coffee exercise hits, whatever it is, right? I'm making stuff up. Forgive me if it sounds ridiculous, right? There's a million ways that you can do that, right? But one of the easiest things that you could do is just grab your phone, put it like buy a $10 tripod, point it at yourself in your living room and record 10 of these three minute videos, right? That's gonna take you 30 minutes, maybe an hour, do a couple of takes, right? And then start sharing that stuff. That's your experiment. You've invested literally $10 and an hour of your, $10 for the tripod, right? And an hour of your time to see if this is something that your audience would like. Now you've got to get it to them. You've got to make them aware of it somehow, but that's the level of experimentation or proof of concept that I'm talking about, right? Because if that, if that doesn't work, let's say you tried it, didn't work. You spent another, another hour, maybe two more hours making you know, 10, 15 more videos and it didn't work you're out three hours and 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. So how, then how do you establish meaningful benchmarks for desired outcomes, right? So like, yeah. okay, so I'm going in and I say, ah, all right, I'll do these 10 videos. I'm going to do it in a thong though. And I'm going to be really pale and pasty. Like, I think that's you my sound like, This sounds like our original 100 <laughs> podcast, uh, which is funny because as he's talking about this, I'm like, it sounds like us with the podcast where we just kept doing it, and then after f- 400 episodes, people actually yeah. listen. Top 10 fitness. Yep. So, like, uh, he probably, <laughs> yeah, we're but, a top 10 fitness podcast, but I would imagine if on the original bet, he would have been like, ah, uh, uh, guys, this is a horrible idea. But you got you to evaluate the landscape a little bit. All right, I got 100 followers. If I can get 10 views on this thing, I'm going to consider it a success. But I guess, you know, those, that type of, building out that type of objective rubric or scorecard, 
I mean, do you have any recommendations on that for folks? Yeah, so, so let's be very, very clear and, and very, very explicit about this. The measure of success of your experiment is not the execution of the experiment. Check. Okay. Well, that was the podcast. <laughs> yes. We're doing it. Right. Exactly. I did it. Like, yes, that is victory. Right. And it feels good. Right. It feels it feels good. And, and look, and that's super measurable. Mm -hmm. It's binary. Right. Did you make the three, 10 three minute videos? Yes, I did. <laughs> done. Right. But you're not done. You're actually just getting started. Mm -hmm. The measure of success of your experiment is did you change the behavior of your target audience, of, your, mm. of the clientele that you're trying to attract, right? And we call those outcomes, right? We're looking for those measurable changes in the behavior of our target audience. Now, in the case of a podcast, you want people downloading, you want people recommending, you want people listening, you want people uh, reviewing, right? That type of thing. Um, and so those would be your metrics. Now, you've got to do some competitive analysis, like you said, get a sense of what the landscape looks like and set some realistic targets that say, look, by the end, by the end of the year, uh, you know, I'd love it if we had a thousand followers, right? So we've got 10 months to get a thousand followers or, or whatever it is, right? So that's a hundred followers a month on average. Let's make sure that we, we just try to kind of build that up and figure out like what gets us followers and what doesn't. Here's an example, right? So I, I, I write on my blog regularly, right? One thing I've learned over the last decade of blogging on there regularly is that when I include a graphic, not a photo, right? But some kind of a graphic with the blog post, views go up, shares go up, everything goes up, right? So I strive to create some kind of visualization with almost every blog post that I put up there. I don't always get it, but sometimes uh, I strive to do it because I know people will share the image, hmm. right? And I've learned that through experimentation, through trial and error, by looking at the behavior of my target audience and doing that, right? And I mentioned before, it's perseverance, right? So you start a podcast. I read a stat today that said that um, Spotify's got a million and a half podcasts. Wow. Like, available. Uh, and that's not episodes. That yeah. is unique podcasts, right? Wow. Um, and, and, and so the, um, the, the landscape... It, is competitive, whether it's podcasting or micro gyms or consulting or whatever it is. And so understanding um, that landscape and then explicitly targeting a segment that you believe you want to own, right? I think that, that you, 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 a lot of folks make a big mistake of saying, we'll, we'll, we'll get everybody, right? Facebook didn't get everybody right away. Facebook focused on Harvard initially. Right. And then they and then they expanded to colleges and then they opened it up more broadly and then globally. And uh, now we know where they are now. But the, the point is, is that is that that the measure of success is a meaningful change in the behavior of your customers in a positive way. And it has to be meaningful to you based on the context of the landscape, who you are, what your current following is. Right. So if you're just starting out, if you've got three people who listen to you right now, maybe getting the 30, that's a 10x, you know, growth. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Right. And then going from 30 to 300, 300 to 500, 500 to 1000. Right. So setting those kinds of metrics, that's, that's the goal, right. To keep it realistic.
You know, when I hear music like this, I can't help but think about every cheesy 80s action movie ever. There's just something so great about how clearly fake every fight scene and workout montage is. And what's funny is the approach of creating sexy cut-ups of bullshit workouts with highly questionable application actually exists outside 80s movies and is more prevalent than ever. Well, like terrible 80s movies, there's so much training garbage out there to sort through these days. And while entertaining, it's scary to think that some people are actually falling for it. Think of the pyrotechnics in Commando or the over-the-top use of body oil in the movie Over the Top. Is it possible that they're trying to distract us from the completely unrealistic plotline? Kind of like a sexy-looking program with virtually no performance transfer? This is exactly why Power Athlete has been battling the bullshit for over a decade. The research, testing, and retesting that the coaches at Power Athlete HQ have done to create athletic training programs like Field Strong and Bedrock is unparalleled. We chose to further refine our templates to create Grindstone, Jack Street, Lean Enable, and Hammer because we know that specific goals require specific stimuli. Okay, here's where the shameless plug comes in. A lot of work goes into developing the absolute best program and user experience possible. Just ask our partners at Train Heroic, who have been with us every step of the way and are equally dedicated to empowering your performance as we are. They are relentless when it comes to ensuring that your journey to self-improvement is propelled by the absolute best technology. When you join a Power Athlete program on Train Heroic, the first thing you should do is take a giant sigh of relief. Seriously, because now you're in the hands of founder and 10-year NFL veteran John Wellborn and his team of world-class coaches. And for less than a dollar a day, you've just become part of a community of like-minded folks who all want the same thing, performance. And if this whole 80s movie metaphor thing makes no sense to you because you were born after 1990, simply substitute Star Wars episodes 1 through 3. Who has the time or the patience for an all-show, no-go imposter program? Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to empower your performance today. Now back to the show. Do you have to keep adjusting? I mean, um, you know, the age old, like, hey, I was at 10 people and I got to 30. Now, what I did to go from 10 to 30 isn't necessarily what I have to do to get to, you know, to 300 to 3,000 in an exponential. So I guess you kind of have to continue to make pivots. Or do people just keep running the same game plan? So uh, I'm going to give you the sort of the digital product manager answer to everything, uh, which is <laughs> it depends. It depends. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm just a big fan of just the repeater, but unfortunately... The, re- the repeater? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a pretty big fan of the repeater. <laughs> just keep doing what we're doing, but at the end of the day, I, mm-hmm. I think that you get kind of stuck in a rut, and next thing you know, you're looking at it, and you're like, how do I innovate? How do I get out? How do I continue to expand and the I, message? And I also but think look, it... Go ahead, go ahead, Jeff. Well, there's a cliche, right? The, the cliche is what got you here won't get you there, and I do, I do buy into that, right? So I, th- I think that once you achieve a certain level of success, if you want to grow that exponentially then you do need to you need to you need to adjust somehow a pivot or scale up or or what whatever it is right um but i think that that's for for kind of exponential growth i think if you're looking for relatively slow incremental growth yeah i think you can kind of keep doing what you're doing Mm -hmm. and uh i guess oh where was i going to go with this talking about growth talking about the repeater talking about the repeater the um uh, Jeff, I'll just hand it off to you if you have any thoughts or text if you have any questions for Jeff. Jeff, I had the opportunity to work through Forever Employable. One, I love the title. 
especially in the the coaching industry, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. there's so many turntable uh, roundabout college coaches, right? You're at the whim of a sport coach that then gets fired, and you're out, and you got to look for a new jobs. So this is almost a way. And you had some steps in place, and I hear them unfolding within the points that you're presenting. Could you lay out to highlight forever employable for our listeners the five steps you presented in the book? And then I got one follow-up question within those steps for a conversation. Absolutely. So, and, and look, and these are the, the story in Forever Employable is semi-autobiographical. It's it's my story. So these are my five steps, and this this worked for me. And so pick and choose the ones that work for you. But essentially, uh, the first step is plant a flag, right? Plant a flag is, and we've talked about this a bit, is kind of deciding where you're going to develop your, your brand, um, your thought leadership, and your recognized expertise, right? So, uh, for example, the, the guy that I work out with, right, he, he's, it's kickboxing. And because I live in a Spanish-speaking country, he speaks English, so it's primarily it's kickboxing for expats, right? Uh, because it's 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 in English, right? So that's his kind of unique selling proposition. Um, you know, he's Scottish, and so there's there's that aspect of it. So planting your flag is deciding sort of I'm going to be the expert in this, uh, and in this way, and, and this is kind of the slice of the industry that I'm going to own. Um, the next thing is to tell your story. Now that becomes a really interesting challenge. Is, is okay, how do I present myself to my target audience, right? Um, and the idea is to become a storyteller. I think the most compelling thing that you can do as a business owner is become a great storyteller. Be, be able to tell your story, right? How many times, uh, I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I love going to like old Italian restaurants, right? Like that have been like in the US, right? Old pizzerias that have been around for 50, 60, 100 years or like, uh, like places in Little Italy in New York City that have been around forever or in the North End in Boston. Um, and the story of the places on the wall, right? Like like the, the original kind of like great grandfather or grand grandmother who, who founded the place and handed it down, handed it down. Like, oh, Frank Sinatra came. Here's, a, here's our photo of Frank Sinatra, yeah. you know? And it's like, uh, all like I, I love that. And I think that it, if you can tell your story uh, in a compelling way, you start to bring people in to that story, right? So like I started my micro gym, right? Because, you know, when I got out of, uh, you know, I found, I found myself at a, you know, a nine to five desk job and like eating at my desk and blood pressure is going up and basically I was going to die at 45. And so I had to figure something out, right? Whatever, whatever the story is, right? But start to tell that story and do it in, in, in whatever way that is comfortable for you. But that's the second step because that starts to bring people in along with your story. They want to hear more, right? Tell me more about your story. Um, the, the third step is to follow the new path. Now, what, what I mean by that is that as you start to tell your story, people start listening to that story, right? You start to pick up some followers. New opportunities start to present themselves. So people will start to offer you and say, listen, hey, do you want to come on this podcast and tell us your story? Yeah, I want to do that. Hey, uh, we've got a conference going on for small business owners. We don't often get a lot of representation from the fitness industry. Do you want to come in here and, and, and give a talk about how you built your gym and the story behind it? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do that, right? And you start to kind of embrace each one of those opportunities because each one, now, you're, now you're pulling things in. And every time you pull one of those things in, you attract even more things. So uh, plant your flag, tell your story, follow the new path. The fourth step is teach. 
which is really interesting. Uh, if you would have asked me 15 years ago if I was going to be a teacher when I grew up, the answer would have been no. Uh, <laughs> never, never thought of myself as a teacher, never saw myself as a teacher, but that's what I do today. Everything that I do is teaching people what I know. Um, I teach, again, through public speaking, through podcasting, through coaching and consulting, through writing, writing books or whatever it is. But as you teach, you get better at your subject matter. You get better at telling your story and you get a real sense of where the gaps are for your target audience. So you might be saying something and you might be missing a chunk that they actually need and you'll get that feedback and you can improve your story. So plant your flag, tell your story, follow the new path, teach. And the last step and this is the thing that I learned most recently and the thing that took me the longest to really come to grips with was give it all away. So I've been working professionally for 20 years. I have a tremendous amount of experience and I believe I have some expertise in a few things. And I believe I should be paid for that experience and that expertise. And I suppose that you would too. Right? Hell yeah. The unintuitive thing to do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Show me the money. Uh, the unintuitive thing to do here is to give as much of that away for free as possible. The more you give back, to the community, the more that you give back to your industry, to the domain, whatever it is, the, the more opportunities come and find you, right? The more people come and seek you out. If you go to my website today, everything there is free except tickets to my events, right? Blog posts are free. Resources are free. Templates are free. Videos of my keynotes that people hire me to give, right? The same exact keynotes are on there for free. Put them up in the conference room, get the team around. You can watch the whole thing for free. I still get hired to do that. The more you give back, the more comes back to you. There was a woman, when I lived in Virginia a long time ago, there was a woman in my neighborhood who was a real estate agent. Um, and she saw herself um, differentiating by becoming, by giving back, essentially by becoming kind of a, a real estate uh, blogger, essentially a thought leader in the real estate space. Um, that was 12, 12 years ago, maybe 14 years ago. Um, and um, I recently saw her, uh, her name on LinkedIn for the first time in a long time. She has 850,000 followers on LinkedIn, right? That's a and wide wake. It's, it's, it's impressive. And she has built that over a decade and a half by giving back, by taking her expertise, her experiences, her story, right? Selling homes in Northern Virginia initially, right? And sharing that back to the community. And now she has basically the entire industry follows her, which is amazing. So those are the five steps. Is it as simple as just giving it away though? There's gotta be some thought and strategy tied to that right i mean it's not like you're just going to open up the the safe and push out all your ip whatever or intellectual property you yeah. want to like it's not and it's also not that you're being subversive or malicious it's just understanding what has the highest like what pieces have the highest value right but then you still got to have something in your back pocket to to grow your business or no am i overthinking no, you're right. I mean, the, 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 there has to be some strategy behind it. So, so, for example, like I blog for free to build my email list, right? If, uh, if I give a talk and I show slides and you want the slides, all you have to do is ask for them. 
but I want your email address in return, mm-hmm. right? So I'm building a list. Now, why I'm building a list? Because I, I communicate what I'm doing to that list. I advertise my, my events to that list, but, that, but, the, but the list always has value, right? I always give stuff away. Like there's always information or content or, or links or whatever right. in, in the emails as well. But yeah, your, your goal, I mean, this is, this is content marketing. Let's just call right. it what it is. It's, it's, not, it's no, no big secret here. Um, but there is, uh, people talk about marketing funnels. I don't like funnels because everything eventually comes through a funnel, right? I like mountains, right? Mm. Mountains, uh, there's a blog post on my blog called Metrics Mountain, which essentially inverts the funnel. But your goal is you start with a lot of people at the base of the mountain. And those are the people that are never going to buy anything from you, right? And you're always going to give them some stuff for free, right? And the goal then is to, is to get enough of those folks engaged so that you can get them to climb a little bit up the mountain and maybe give you like a little bit of money for something like right? they'll come to one event or they'll you know they'll, they'll uh buy a book or something along those lines right and then not everybody's going to make it to the rest of the way up at the mountain but those folks who make it to the top are going to be kind of your premium subscribers and to those folks you're still getting some stuff away but they're actively paying you money on a regular basis for premium content so that strategy of sort of funneling folks up the mountain is is classic content marketing but it starts by building that platform and, and the best way to do it is just to just to give it all away as much right. as you can and then do you know do the legwork ahead of time to be able to drive value right understand what you're doing absolutely yeah nice text you had a follow-up on that in two now but the first one the in line with the follow the new path that can be extremely intimidating because you you had a family when you made this decision a lot of the coaches out there the business owners they have these other people that are dependent on them so what are some motivation motivating ideas for them to actually take this leap down the new path versus just playing it safe and eventually that catching up to them you're right you're right it's risky it's risky, and um, and you know if you're working without much of a safety net, um, there's a lot of risk in there. So the, the way, like I'll tell you what I did. I'll, I'll just share with my story because I was employed at a full-time job, but um, you know commuting every day to New York City and that type of thing. Um, I did this, these new paths. I did this nights and weekends. I um, you know I I burn a vacation day and go speak at a conference. Um, I would stay up late. I, I would write blog posts and, and parts of, of my first book on my commute, you know, 45 minutes on the bus in the morning, 45 minutes on the bus on the way home. Um, I would write there. Um, and so this is where it gets tough because you've, you, you've got to persevere. You've got to be consistent. You've got to do the work and you've got to do it in the cracks, in the cracks between work, in the cracks between family life in the cracks between whatever else you're doing. And, um, and it's exhausting. Um, but without that, without that, it, nothing changes, right? And, and to me, that's, that's the effort that you've got to put in. And at some point, you've got to take the risk of exploring these new paths because that's what you're working towards. You know, for me, I was worried about younger designers coming in and taking my job. And as I started doing a lot of speaking and coaching and, and, and uh, workshop teaching about my first book, I was doing even less design work. And so my design skills are, are atrophying already. And now I'm not even doing any design work. I'm just teaching and, and speaking and, and writing and that type of thing. And that was terrifying. And, you know, I spoke to, um, there, was a, there was a point in time there where I spoke to uh, 
a senior, just kind of a, a thought leader in the design, in the web design industry. And I, I kind of saw him as a bit of a guru. And I said, listen, I said, this is the position that I'm at right now. I've, I've got a job, um, but this is kind of starting to happen for me. And I'm terrified that if I go down this path, I won't be a designer anymore. And he said, look, you've developed this free platform for yourself. You're starting to encourage these new opportunities to come to you. He goes, go after them. He goes, you can always come back and be a designer, right? And, and those words have stuck with me for, gosh, 15 years at this point, right? Like if all else fails, I can always go back to doing design, right? I mean, yeah, I, can, I need to refurbish my skill sets and learn some new tools, but frankly, that's the easy part. Like right. uh, it's the, the problem solving and the creativity. I've never lost those skills. So I think, I think the, the, the lesson here is, is take the risk, do the hard work. I mean, you can always come back and do the thing you were always doing before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My second question, in line with the, the give it all away, and in our community, a lot of people are very willing to, to speak, to stand out, and give away all their knowledge. And some people aren't. But speaking to those positive, give it all away people, how do they begin then to charge for it? So if it's give it away, blog, educate, podcast, but then you've created an opportunity to go speak, how do you gauge your value? Because they're so used to giving away. What's that hour worth? Or what's that presentation plus travel worth? And establishing a platform for you to now charge once you have created the new opportunities of speaking or that next step. So, so that brings us back to experiments, right? And the beauty of the world that we live in today is that you can run experiments like that to answer that particular uh, assumption um, very quickly, very easily, and relatively painlessly. So, um, and I do this all the time, by the way, when I've got a new workshop that I want to sell or a new idea, um, I put up a, uh, in this case, Eventbrite. Um, Eventbrite is a ticketing website where you can sell tickets to anything you want, right? Um, I put up an Eventbrite page uh, with a description of a class that doesn't exist. And I put a price point on that class and I, and I spend an hour writing a description of what the class will teach you. And then I let people that follow me know that I've launched this, this class. And again, we set that outcome, that threshold. If 10 people buy a ticket by the end of the first month or by the end of the first week of sales, then we do the workshop. And if 10 people, and you know, less than 10 people buy a ticket by a particular date, we don't do the workshop. If you hit your threshold, now you gotta do the work. Now you gotta go build the class or the, or the, the speech or whatever it is. But if you don't, you don't. Right? You don't have to do the work, and that saves you a tremendous amount of effort and energy, and it teaches you that something wasn't right about that idea. Now, you have to go figure out what it was, because it may not have been a bad idea, right? Maybe you just wrote a crappy description, or maybe the price point was too high, or maybe nobody saw it. Uh, you, know, that type, like, you have to go investigate why it failed. But th- to me, if you're giving stuff away on a regular basis, and at some point you want to charge for it, run that experiment. Say, listen, this next thing I'm going to, this next video, um, it's going to be like, you know, if you want access to this next video, it's going to be five bucks. Right? Let's put it behind a paywall on a, on a website or, what, or whatever. Private link on YouTube and only share the link after someone PayPals you five bucks. Mm-hmm. Right? That's super easy. Um, and, and see if people will pay the five bucks. Like, that's the test. That's the experiment. 
and, and, and again, if the most important thing here is to talk to the people who buy and the people who don't buy to understand why. This is the thing that most people forget when they're running a business is to talk to their customers, <laughs> to listen to what they have to say, um, especially when they've rejected the brand, right? Brand rejectors, uh, people don't want to talk to them because, well, you rejected me, right? I don't want to talk to you, you don't like me. But the, but the reality is that those are the most important people to understand why. Why are they talking about Like, Why do they not like it? Who knows? Could be anything. But you talk to a few people, the patterns emerge very, very quickly, and, and you start to understand. So experiment. Experiment your way with, the again, what's the least amount of work that you can do to test that idea? Always ask yourself that question. It's not, it's not a question. It's not a, I'm not asking you to be lazy. Mm -hmm. I'm asking you to be lean. Yeah. Okay? Because why would you do anything more than you have to to, to test that idea? Right? That's wasteful and risky, and, and you could lose more than you would have to if, it, if you're wrong. Is there a piece of, um, like, I feel like if you're looking at the folks who are the brand rejectors, there's also a risk in looking at that feedback that you'd never please that person anyways. Possible. Yeah, and I guess... It, I think we call those misanthropes, you know, just <laughs> like this, like... Uh, no matter what you do, no matter what you give them, mm -hmm. no matter how, how romantic and amazing it is, they'll never be happy. And then I think those people are just, I mean, we yeah. used to see it all the time. I mean, like when we used to give away free programming and do this, even like, oh, my gold brick is too heavy. Yeah. Like those people. That was, that was, that was my analogy. Ah, oh, this gold brick's too heavy. I can't carry it around. I don't <laughs> want it. And like we used to run into this constantly. And I think there's just people that like want to be unhappy or don't want a life change in this and fight and you know not everybody sure. or or uh, the other one is um not everybody's ready at the exact same time that you're ready to give them something like i, I remember there were all the time people like oh this is great but you know if only i had seen this two years ago or three years in the future it's just i think timing is everything you know mm -hmm. are you hitting the right person at the right moment with the right message to be able to convert them to what they want to do. I mean, especially in our business where, you know, we're looking to get people into a performance model on this. I mean, what if they're not into a performance mindset? What if they're just like, I just want to be lean. What does that look like? I don't know. Marathon skinny. They're probably not right. going to fit within us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's, it's right, but it's right person. So I want to, I want to kind of double down on what you said. It's, it's, it's right person. And there's a persona type that's always going to be the unpleasable client. And the sooner that you can identify that and then look for it, well, you can just, you know, not service those right. clients, right? I mean, for me, like in, in my business, there's a specific way that I work and uh, I, I, don't, I don't work on, on set deliverables, right? You don't pay me, you know, pay me a hundred bucks and you will get five sheets of paper with smart stuff on them. Right. Like that's not that's not how I work. Right. Um, I typically sell my time. I sell I sell uh, outcomes, changes in behavior ultimately. And so when, when I get when I get a, an inbound inquiry and they say, look, we've got a budget of a thousand dollars. And um, how many widgets can we get for a thousand dollars? Right. That's not my customer. Right. Mm -hmm. I know that. Right. Um, you know, if, if I get somebody who's very, very junior in an organization coming into me. Um, that's not my customer. I know they, first of all, they can't sign a check from their company. And second of all, I'm gonna to be too expensive for their budget. 
So that's not my customer, right? So if you can identify those persona types over time, then you can weed them out of your conversation. So you're not wasting any time on them. That's super, super important, right? So I'm like, I'm gonna pick on my folks, right? My folks, my folks buy gym memberships every year, right? My dad goes a little bit, my mother never goes, right? She has a gym membership. She's always had one, right? but she never goes, right? So in, in many cases, she's a highly profitable customer, right? But she's, yeah. ne- she's never going to be like, but she's never going to be like a, a personal training client either. Like it's just not, it's important for her to say she has a gym membership, but that's, that's roughly it, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's sort, of, sort of what begins and ends. So if you can identify those persona types, then you can, you can focus your efforts on other people. And that's important. Solid. Anything else from Corbin? Maybe a side question. Jeff, we had the opportunity to observe some of your talks online, one in which lean, agile, and design thinking, you let off and drop some movie knowledge. So as a fun closeout for the show, Uh you mentioned your favorite movie of all time in that presentation. Has it changed? And if not, could you give us your top five movies of all time in your experience? Gosh, that's that's the toughest question you've asked me. This whole yeah. <laughs> uh, so my favorite movie is Goodfellas, and huh? it still is my favorite. Uh, it's my favorite movie. Um, I'm trying to think, top five. So, so I mean, I, I could put all the Scorsese gangster films in there, and that's that would be great. Um, I say Goodfellas definitely top. Um, I love um, uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, oh. market amazing. That's definitely a top top five. I can um, tell how old you are. <laughs> You're about 44, 45, somewhere in there, 46. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. yeah, me too. Uh, That's why I'm like, yep, Shawshank, good fellas. Yeah. Love it. Um, uh, I like Pleasantville. That's one of my favorite. Um, and when it came, so it's, it's a Tobey Maguire and Reese Witherspoon, and they get magically transported from like 1990s reality to 1950s black and white uh, sitcom. Yeah, um, I'm familiar. And, and then eventually the like there's there were more special effects now this is going to date that movie as well but when the movie came out there were more special effects in that movie than in independence day what like the, the, yeah because because they're like popping little bits of color like throughout the whole uh-huh. movie anyway that movie's brilliant brilliant is brilliant, it really brilliant. i mean well, no uh, Paul walker independence day it's not a movie i thought that was a documentary <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Armageddon was another documentary. Yes, another. Yeah. But Pleasantville. Okay, so I, uh, well, I yeah. have to, I have to redabble. I just don't remember that being like. Uh, I may have never seen it. I oh, love I've it. seen it. Uh, I love it. I was gonna uh, um, text brought something. Not, not to cut you off, but the uh, um, text brought up a good thing, and we were watching your TED talk. Uh, the idea of agility, which is uh, something that I've always put as one of our core concepts. Like that's one of our core fundamentals here at Power Athlete is the ability to be extremely agile and to be able to mm-hmm. see new things and be able to uh, pivot quickly in such a way to the point of almost keeping our team very small. Because uh, what I found was when, when the organization gets really big, it's like trying to turn a battleship. I mean, we went and worked with the U.S. military, which was like trying to turn a battleship to do anything. And um, so that piece of agility, I mean, how do you, like, as you continue to grow and become more successful, like, how do you keep that agility in place that you can with a kind of a smaller, uh, more functional team? Yeah, so there's, it's, I mean, look, and there's, there's endless, endless, endless writing about this, but I, I will tell you where to go, what I believe to be uh, the best piece of writing on it. And perhaps ironically, perhaps not ironically, it comes from the military. 
um, there's a guy named um, David Marquette, L. Period, L. David Marquette, um, and he wrote a book called Turn the Ship Around, um, which again is kind of relevant to the, to the question. Uh, uh, David Marquette was the captain of a, the worst performing nuclear submarine in the U.S. Navy. And over the course of a year, he turned it around into the best performing nuclear submarine crew in the Navy. And the way that he did that, he details that he details it in the book, but the principles are fairly simple. And you can find like really kind of short condensed versions of, of this, of his story on, on YouTube. Um, but basically what he does is there, first of all, there's an implicit culture of trust, right? I'm going to hire smart people and I'm going to get out of their way. I'm going to push decision-making to the people closest to the information. And I'm going to trust that they make the right decisions. Now they need to keep me informed, right? But they make the decisions because they're the closest to the information. So as your organization grows, for example, right? The person, like, let, let's say, let's say you've got a gym and the gym has grown into kind of a full-fledged facility. Like it's a big gym now. The person best suited, the people best suited to sort of optimize the reception area of the gym are the receptionists, right? They're there every day. They're greeting the customers. They're getting the questions. They're seeing the challenges. They're seeing where that's going, right? So you push that decision-making down to the people closest to to the information and then you let them uh you let them make those you trust them to make those decisions because again the the scope of those decisions uh is small right so if they make a tiny tweak to the reception area and it's a tragedy right so it's just a tragic mistake all right well like we lived with it for a day we're going to take it down to something else Right? And nobody gets fired for that. So uh, David Marquette, Turn the Ship Around um, is a really great resource for that. But that's the key. The key is to push decision-making down to the teams. Uh, good, good. Two, two quick anecdotes about that. Number one, he talks about how he, he delegated his, all the decisions that he could except one, which was when to launch the nuclear missiles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because people were going to die. Yeah. He, he yeah. saved that decision for himself. <laughs> Right. And as far as I know, I don't think he's, uh, he's ever so had to do the that. top guy has to hold the button for thermonuclear destruction. OK, yes. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. And I'll tell you one other quick anecdote. I had the pleasure of meeting uh, David Marquette at a conference in Canada a bunch of years ago. And I thought I was super clever and a good public speaker. And I, I had to go up um, after him. Um, and I, I quick. I spent six months working in a circus. It's a long story, but I spent six months when I was 22 working in a circus. And uh, I was like, I'm gonna get up there. I'm gonna tell circus stories and everyone's gonna be entertained. And, and I had to go up after David Marquette and he's telling nuclear submarine stories. And I got nothing, you know, like, <laughs> believe me, you just got, you don't, you don't follow David Marquette basically. You just let him close the show. That's Man, the, I, um, I did a speaking engagement for the guys at Naval Special Warfare and had to follow Dan Coyle who wrote the talent code. I don't know if you know Dan Coyle. And, um, yes, similar deal. I was like, hmm, this guy has some amazing books and had some amazing information. And I was like, I'm just going to sit up here and beat my drum. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's some definitely timing nuance in that. Okay. Uh, Sorry, Tex. Back to the movies. Well, now I'm curious about the circus. (laughs) So, 22, did you, like, finish college, couldn't get a job, and you just joined the circus? No, I got a job. 
Yeah. In, in the circus. <laughs> but, but, okay, so were you a performer? Were you working the, uh, like, the milk bottle he, he game? He looks like a, car, uh, like a carny, potential carny. Don't, don't call circus folk carnies. <laughs> they get mad? Circus folk is the proper uh, nomenclature. Sorry, job. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I'm serious. They get really mad about it because, you know. Uh, but, but no, they, uh, so I, um, I did sound and lighting ah. for the Clyde Beatty Cole Brothers Circus uh, in the summer of 1995 for six months. Um, and it was right at, literally, I graduated from school on Saturday. Um, I put my prized possessions and storage on Sunday, and then Monday I hit the road and um, spent six months on the road um, doing sound and lights for a circus. It was bizarre <laughs> and, and um, super weird, and um, I learned a ton. Uh, I don't know that I had a great time, but in hindsight, I'm glad I did it. Uh, so, can we yeah. ask what the weirdest thing, or just give us like a general kind of like lay of the land of weirdness? Oh, the weirdest thing, God. We had a clown. Uh, there was a clown. Oh no! In the in the circus, who had done seven years for manslaughter. Oh. <laughs> he was like playing with children, you know. <laughs> that was kind of bizarre. Um, uh, th- th- there's. Um, there's like the circus is divided into we like it's a 200 person subculture that travels sort of on the fringes of regular society and within that 200 person subculture there are there's like a a, a cultural hierarchy there there are like you know the upper class the middle class the lower class and one of the one of the classes of people in the circus were the electricians they were in charge of ringing up electricity for this kind of moving city everywhere that we went for two, three days at a time. They lived inside these generator trucks, these massive, two massive generator trucks that powered the whole, the whole thing. And the generators would run from 6 a.m. to midnight every day. So there were six hours of silence for them. So they basically lived in 18 hours of constant noise. And they were the most alcoholic people <laughs> I've ever met in my entire life. Like they began drinking as soon as that generator went up at 6 a.m., like like Old Crow and the coffee Woof. kind of stuff, like at 6 o'clock in the morning, and they just went all day long. And they're in charge of powering this whole thing and electricity. <laughs> you know, you're out there, and it's raining and thunderstorming. And like, anyways, it's a miracle all of us lived. Yeah, so, uh, we're, so where in the class system did the lighting and sound folk? Middle, middle so middle class. Oh, good so, for you. Uh, I, was not, I, was not, uh, I was not a performer, were they the upper class was the performer? Yeah, performers and management. Yeah, and the owner rolled with us too. Um, and then, uh, and then, sort of middle middle class was the the band and me, and um, and then sort of the the guys who did all the hard work, the put grunts. up the tent, took it down, cleaned elephant poo. Um, yeah, that was the other. That was the lower the, class. There was. Yeah. Wow. I'm so what jealous. What about the, the people that run the uh, the games? Like, uh, so every carnival I've always been to, the people that are running the games, to me, are by far the most interesting people at the carnival. You're like... They make the most money. Uh, so they they always made more money than anybody else because, you know, like, it's it's all it's all rigged, you know, and stuff. Uh, and, like, the, well, the prizes they give away are, like, they cost, like, 12 cents and you yeah, just paid five yeah. bucks to, to, to win it. So... Uh, you know, and you got to be—they made the most money. You got to have charisma. Uh, you got to be able to draw in Tra- a crowd. Trash talk. Uh, 
I went to um, years ago when I was, geez, I was probably in high school or middle school. We went to London. Um, my parents had some deal and we went and then uh, we got to go to, you know, we saw Stonehenge and drove all over. And we ended up in some like strange town in some strange carnival. Uh, my parents went to sleep. I couldn't sleep, you know, a jet lag. So I ended up at some strange carnival with my brother. And, like, it was uh, it, it was by far the most interesting thing. Now that you're talking about it, I'm like, I don't know how we didn't get abducted into that carnival. It seems like they oh. just meet people and they're like, jump on the truck. And then next thing you know, I'm in the carnival. Yeah, setting up tents <laughs> yeah. with the lowly grunts. Yeah. yeah. Um, crazy time. If there, there's actually there's a, uh, there's a book called Under the Big Top by an author named Bruce Fielder. I can't remember his last name now. It starts with an F. But he toured as a clown with that same circus a year before me. And so if you read that book, I knew all those people. Basically. Oh, wow. He, That's cool. He beat me to that story, sadly. Do you feel like you should have wrote a book about this? I feel like I should have, yeah. I tell stories about it all the time. It's in my talks. You can see I talk about the human cannonball <laughs> and uh, that kind of thing. And... Um, but yeah, so it's it's. Um, uh, how did you happen stance upon this? Like, how did you get this job? And more importantly, like, how do people get into like, like I, I'm just thinking like, at which point are you like, you know, this nine to five isn't working. I'm going to the carnival. Yeah, I get it. Uh, um, so look, the, for, so I think everybody's onboarding story is different. <laughs> I think for me, I was I was uh, lucky, lucky, huh? I guess. Um, the. Uh, the circus. So I went to school at James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. So it's southwestern Virginia, just a couple hours north of Virginia Tech. And the circus was coming through Harrisonburg right around graduation. It turned out that the band leader had graduated from JMU and they needed a sound guy. And so he called ahead about a week ahead and he called the school and he said, listen, uh, I'm an alumni, alumnus, I'm coming through um, and we need a sound guy. Who do you recommend? And of course, if the school can get somebody a job, their placement stats, right? Their job placement stats go up. And so I was in the, I was kind of in the audio production program and uh, media production program. And the school recommended me for the job because I guess I was either good or they didn't like me <laughs> or both. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so they recommended me for the gig. Um, I did a phone interview with the, with the band leader from the circus um, he offered me the job. I called my parents and I said, what do you think? And they said, yeah, you should do it. I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, you should do it. Uh, and so I said, yeah, and uh, jumped in. And there's no, there's no sort of like, you know, easing into it. Like literally it was like, okay, Monday you're on, figure it out. Here it is. And uh, figured it out. <laughs> Problem solving from the start. What was yeah. the coolest podunk town that you ever rolled through? That you would never have normally knew. Oh, I'll, I'll ever all visit. of them, I'd imagine. Yeah. Well, I mean, we roll. So it's it's an I ninety five circus. So it starts in Florida, it goes to New Hampshire or Maine, and then comes down. Kind of follows the warm weather. South of the of, border. South of the border for sure. Um, I used to some, live in Tampa. I, I used to live in Tampa, and then I played football uh, in Philadelphia for the Eagles. And so I used to drive back on ninety five. And like it, it like stop it south of the border and all I had all these crazy spots like Waffle House and with all this stuff. So I'm fairly familiar with uh, the road on 95. So that's hilarious. Um, yeah, exactly. I, so I, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of like for some reason, the, the only name that really sticks in my mind from all those years, there was a place that we stopped in, in Massachusetts called Sharon, Massachusetts. And I don't know why, why Sharon uh, 
sticks in my mind, but it was nowhere Massachusetts. I mean, but it's all like right off I-95, like kind of up and down. Nice. That's it. I have so many questions. <laughs> on my, I have so many questions on whether or not my my midlife crisis will include joining the circus. Because so far, you're selling it pretty well uh, for me. I don't know. <laughs> Looks like my midlife crisis will be the AV uh, audiovisual guy for the, no, for no, the circus. No, no, I don't want any middle class responsibility. I'm a, te- I'm a generator guy. I'm going to join those guys. And I can get them in shape. Be like, hey, listen, let's put the old crow down. We're going to go for a little jog. Let's get the, uh, you know, start the day right. Clean coffee. We drink after breakfast. (laughs) They would have died immediately. (laughs) Well, they probably just needed to be heavily, like heavily sedated. So if they electrocuted themselves, nobody would die. Yeah. They're like, I'm so hammered. It's not going to kill me. Man. Uh, Well, Jeff, hey, thank you so much. I get there's going to be folks who want to, to reach out or, or do they just head to the website? Do you want do you have anything on social you want them to check out? Grab a book. What do you need? What do you need from our people? I look the, the, the best thing it, 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 I, I would recommend is uh, obviously my website's got tons of stuff. So jeffgothealth.com, Great place to go. I, I would be forever grateful if you bought a copy of Forever Employable. And uh, that would be. Uh, that would be amazing. And if you do buy it and you do read it, I would ask you to take one more step with me and write a review on Amazon. The most important thing other than a book purchase is a review on Amazon. Uh, it goes a long way, and I, I'd greatly appreciate that. I think we have some people that are ready to pull to do that. Yeah, I think we can do yeah that. we'll get down on that as well, Jeff. Hey, again, thank you for your time. I'd have last. I think yes. uh, we'll probably be following up with a round two, maybe. But there's just so much circus talk to get into. Uh, <laughs> we could talk circus for another two hours. Exactly. For sure. We got circus and movies to get well, into. Well, we know not to talk about them, not to refer to them as carnies, because that Everyone sounds like know- fighting words. Yeah, we don't like that, it's, John. It's don't fighting. call us that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the the age-old Austin Powers, uh, small hands, smell like cabbage. Well, probably like the, probably I, legitimate fighting words. My, my, my circus dream started at the CrossFit Games when we started to, like... Shirts? Yeah, like, shirts. really get, like... Uh, we were running a booth at this the CrossFit Games, Jeff, which is, like, a big fitness competition, and everybody's there, like, you know, having conversations about their service and their product, and, like, I Taking don't know... Taking it seriously? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know where it started and where it stopped, but I just got, like, in straight carny mode, and I'm like, step right up, folks! We're talking seminars! We're talking oh, yeah. shirts! We had, like, a vertical jump. Yeah, uh, and we had, like... So it was just so fun to, like reel these folks in and if i only had and then one of disappoint those, them yeah one of those big like ta- long poles with cotton candy all over it you know like cotton when, candy here when i was a kid my brother told me that um i would never be able to amount to much so i should join the circus so i ended up learning <laughs> to juggle and so I, I can still juggle really well but it was pretty funny my brother's like you got to work on that juggling i'm like you think he's like yeah the only thing for you is the circus <laughs> so he was like three and a half i was probably like six he's probably nine and uh, to this day, he sees me juggle. He's like, well, you still got a future. Circus. Yeah. Potentially. Circus. Weirdo. <laughs> well, now we know. I was going to Yeah. 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 But uh, thanks, Chip. We'll, we'll be reaching out, man. And yeah. thank, you, thank you, Power Athlete Nation, for listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Hey. Hey. Until next time. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can learn more about Jeff or purchase his book, Forever Employable, on his website, jeffgotthealth.com. That's G-O-T-H-E-L-F. Or by clicking the link in our show notes. Until next time, bye!